0: You feeling all right? That's <laughs> to the leaders. I feel like I've got one finger pointing out and all the other f- fingers are pointing back at me. When I was in primary school, I, uh, I lived in parks. Have any of you seen The Dish? Yeah, that's, that's parks. Uh, we lived about four k's out of town, small farm. Uh, we had an almond orchard. It's beautiful. Uh, but most of, uh, most of the farms there were, were wheat and sheep. It's great out west. Love it. Um, One of the delightful ways the Bible describes uh, God's people is as a flock of sheep being led by God, the good shepherd, and by God's appointed leaders, shepherding his people to love him and live according to his ways. And we heard that in the, uh, the consecutive reading this morning. In fact, that's how chapter two ended last week. It's a beautiful picture. Although, perhaps not as easy for us to relate to these days, we round up sheep with uh, utes and motorbikes and uh, well-trained dogs. Uh, But in Micah's day, and in Jesus' day for that matter, it was a shepherd who knew each of the sheep by name. A very close and loving bond. Now one year on our farm, um, we had a lot of trouble from stray dogs. Uh, They'd formed a pack and were, were roaming and killing sheep. It was horrible. They'd run the mob round and round and round as the sheep tied out. They'd just attack them and rip at them. And, um, you know, you'd get up in the morning and there'd be some sheep dead, others, you know, horribly injured. It was just terrible. Now, that's the picture that Micah gives us in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 3. But it's not stray dogs that are doing the damage. It's the shepherds of God's people, the leaders, the rulers, the priests. The way he describes it there in those opening verses, it sounds like raw cannibalism. And I hope you find it offensive and shocking. We're meant to feel that way. But in their arrogance, the people Micah spoke to were deaf and blind. And God was about to put a stop to it once and for all. Friends, it's my prayer that as we encounter God in his word here this morning, we'll not shrug it off, deaf to God's voice and blind to his guidance, but will listen, will remember, we'll turn from sin and turn to him and share the good news that we encounter with others around us. Because in him, only in him, there is true life and peace and hope. Well, let's pray as we look at this passage. Will you pray with me? Mighty and loving Father, as we open the word of the Lord, please enable us to listen and respond to the Lord of the word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we launch into chapter 3, let's just remind ourselves where we've come from. In chapter 1, we were reminded that sin is serious. But the focus wasn't just on sin out there, you know, in other people and out in the community and in the world. It was about the sin right here, hidden in our hearts. And that's what we need to be most concerned about. Jesus put it so well, didn't he? Uh, Matthew 7, 3. Why are you so worried about the log in someone else's eye? Uh, sorry, the, the speck in, uh, in someone else's eye, and not about the log in your own eye. Jesus had a great way of saying things. Micah chapter 2, we saw that sin corrupts and pollutes relationships. God doesn't want us to be greedy, covetous, selfish people, but generous. Loving and humble people as we live for the well-being of others. Humble servants of Christ. Back on our farming days growing up, we had uh, several old corrugated iron sheds. And in the early morning or late afternoon, you'd see shafts of sunlight blaze through some of the holes in the uh, aging walls. Uh, The book of Micah is a bit like that. Bleak and dark dark. For much of it. But throughout the book, hope comes blazing through, just like that. And that's how chapter 2 finished. Two chapters of judgment and and woe. And then right at the end of chapter 2, this blazing ray of hope, verses 12 and 13, where God is pictured as the good shepherd who gathers his sheep, guards his sheep and guides his sheep, his people. So as we step, step into chapter 3 today, the contrast really is all the more shocking. Make sure you've got a Bible open at uh, Micah chapter 3 as we work through it. Uh, in this chapter, there's three sections. Micah begins by addressing the leaders of Israel, verses 1 to 4. And then the prophets of Israel in verses 5 to 8. And then the leaders, the prophets, and he adds the priests. In verses 9 to 12. So this covers all the so-called shepherds of God's people in their different spheres of influence. In each section, Micah names them, then he outlines their sin, and then he describes what's going to happen, the consequences of their evil. Now, it'd be very easy to let the screensaver go up right now because you're thinking, "I'm, I'm not a leader of God's people. This doesn't apply to me at all. I can have a little snooze. But don't do that. Uh, because to some degree, all of us are leaders. Well, in, in the sense that we all have influence over other people at some point in our lives. We're all under leadership because we're all directly influenced by others in different ways. So as we go through this chapter, which is directed at the leaders of God's people... As we go through a helpful question to ask is this. Am I willing to submit to God and use whatever power, position or possessions he has given me for the good of others? Let me say that again. Am I willing to submit to God and use whatever power, position or possessions he has given me for the good of others? Keep that in mind as we consider the leaders of God's people in the time of Micah. Godly leaders, what should they be like? Verse 1, they should know justice, yeah, and they should hate evil and love good. Is that what it says? It's the exact opposite, isn't it? They're, they're loving evil and hating good. And that long, drawn-out metaphor of the leaders being like cannibals is a graphic way of confronting how the leaders were treating the people. People, can I say this, people don't exist for the sake of the leaders. It's the other way around. Leaders are there for the people, to serve them, guide them, protect them, comfort them, feed them, nurture them, bind up their wounds, as it says there, to use whatever power, position or possessions God has blessed them with for the good and benefit of of those they care for. A leader of God's people shouldn't be thinking, what's in it for me? What can I get out of it? Or worse, what can I get out of them? The moment that thought comes and is dwelt on, we've just become like the cannibalistic leaders of Micah chapter 3. Now in verse 4, the they is the leaders, these same leaders. Verse 4 is looking ahead when God's judgment has come and suddenly they're like crying out to God, oh God help us, save us. And it's a bit sobering, isn't it? Verse 4, he will not answer them. At that time he will hide his face from them. Because of the evil they have done. It made me think of that wonderful priestly blessing in number six. God taught the priests how to bless Israel. And he said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. But here it's the exact opposite. God's face is hidden from these leaders. There is no peace. Judgment has come. And the next few verses, Micah aims at the prophets. And I've got to say, that's pretty bold, isn't it? Because he is one. He is one himself. Uh, But not like them. Look at verse 8. But as for me, I'm filled with power. Not, Not the empty appearance of power like the other prophets. I'm filled with the spirit of the Lord. Not the spirit of the age. The spirit of sinfulness like the other prophets, I'm filled with justice and might instead of injustice and evil. Why? To declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. That's the specific message God had given him to speak. And for over 50 years, that's what he did. You may think your job is exhausting. I think Micah's job was exhausting confronting people day after day, exposing their sin and calling them to turn back to God. And you know what? For the most part, his message fell on deaf ears and hard hearts. That, that's an exhausting life of work, isn't it? So what's wrong with the prophets? Verse 5, they lead people astray. It's that shepherd illustration, isn't it, again? But they're not good shepherds. They're driven by greed. Pay up and we'll tell you a like fortune tellers, you know, pay up and we'll tell you a great future. It's got nothing to do with reality. Peace, prosperity, and perfect health. We see those flung around fairly often, don't they? Don't they? Don't we? You've got Micah proclaiming sin, judgment, and hope on the one hand. And on the other hand, these false prophets saying, it's okay. We'll be enjoying peace and well-being all our lives. Today's no different, is it? There's competing voices, opposing voices. And I just want to say, who are you going to listen to? Sin is real and God will judge it in us. So what's sin going to mean to you? Is it going to be a real big issue, like the Bible says it is? Are we going to listen to the God who not only judges it, but brings hope to us in our sin? Now, before we move on, I want to say that the love and misuse of money was at the heart of it in Micah's day. It's a continual problem and has caused devastation in the church throughout history. That's why Paul said to the young Timothy, a young leader of the New Testament church, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, let's be careful. Receive money and all of God's blessings with thankfulness. And use it for good. And that's why here in this church, we've got systems and checks in place to ensure that money is handled safely and distributed wisely for the growth of God's kingdom. And so occasionally we have a report like this morning. Thank you, Andrew. And sorry, on behalf of all of us, thank you so much, Andrew, for your work in that whole area of finances. We need to be above reproach. And so many people have been harmed by mismanagement of money in the church over the history of the church. We really want to be transparent in our finances here. It gets worse. In verse 5, if people refuse to pay to get a, a good word from the Lord, instead of moving on to the next person, these prophets would make a public spectacle of them and humiliate them and assassinate their reputation. To use Micah's words, they prepare to wage war against them. Horrible. Now Micah is addressing the prophets here very clearly. But can I say, the people of Israel aren't entirely innocent either. They're swallowing lies. They're paying And they're playing by the rules of a godless system that had developed over time. Only Micah spoke up. Oh, and Isaiah. He was speaking at the same time. God God warns us of the same trap. 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 says this. For the time will come, looking Uh, into the future when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own evil desires, they'll gather round them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. (laughs) Friends, that time is now. Let's be very careful. There's so many warnings in the New Testament about false teaching. We need to measure what our church leaders, anyone who stands up here and tells you something from God's Word, what other leaders say, you might be listening to stuff online and watching YouTube, teaching and whatnot. We need to measure it up against the plumb line of Scripture. We need to be growing in our knowledge of God's Word daily and pray for God's wisdom and guidance. So that we can discern truth from error. Well, what does God do about these prophets who lie in his name? Verse 6 Night will come over you without visions, and darkness without divination. There's going to be no access to God in right ways or wrong ways, no access to knowledge of the future. The sun... Uh, uh, this line really grabbed me as I was reading it. The sun will set for the prophets. It's not a picture of a beautiful sunrise that you, a sunset that you just want to savour for the next week and send your friends on Facebook. This is a picture of the end of the day, night has come, Life and future and hope has come to an end for these false prophets. The day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed. The divine is disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. Absolute blindness. Spiritual blindness. And as we come to this third section, Micah adds the priests to the mix. That's the whole trifecta. We've got the, uh, the, the leaders, including the king, who are supposed to govern wisely. Uh, we've had the prophets, who are supposed to speak God's word to the people. And now he throws in the priests as well. They're the ones who are supposed to bring God's people to God in worship. And they're all evil. And yet they even had the hide to claim that God was on their side. See the end of verse 11? They lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. They had reduced the idea of God to just some grandfather in the sky who pampers his people. Not a care in the world. Well, what does God say about it? I like the Proverbs. And I came across this one, Proverbs 13, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. Well, let's get our exalt out. We've got righteousness on this side and sin on this side. Which way are we leaning, folks, at this point? It's like, ba Sin is like outweighing and righteousness is like, oh, there's hardly anything left up there. What's going to happen then? It's condemning the people. They think they're safe, but the reality is they're in grave danger. Calamity is coming. Micah tells them, and he tells them in a really clever way, and I don't want us to miss it. In verse 10, he says, uh, he's talking to the, the, the trifecta, all the leaders, you build Zion, picture of building up Zion with bloodshed, and Jerusalem with wickedness. Now, Zion originally referred to the mountain on which Jerusalem was built, but in time it came to refer to all the people of God and even Israel as as a whole nation. Jerusalem, of course, is is their capital. So the focus is moving in. And then in verse 11, it says, Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests for a price. And her prophets tell fortunes for money. Right in the middle of that verse, you've got the priests. And that explains why things are so bad. This is the first mention of priests. Their work was in the temple in the heart of Jerusalem, right at the core of everything that is Israel. It was rotten. The very heart of Israel's identity, where they met with God like a rotten apple. When you throw a rock in a pool, you get those rings radiating out. Well, well, this is like rings radiating in. Got Zion, Jerusalem, temple. The leaders, priests and prophets, they thought they were building up, establishing themselves, a time of peace. But God has the final word. He uses their own framework, and it's right there in verse 12. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. And the temple, the temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets, demolished and abandoned. That's the final word on corrupt leaders. At the end of chapter 3. Uh, that's it. That's how it finishes. So can I just ask a question? Uh, Who wants to be a leader in God's church? Any volunteers? Uh, Okay. Um, James chapter 3 actually says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Leaders are held to high account because it is such a crucial role that greatly impacts the health of God's church. And our witness as God's people to the world. That's why God was so angry at the leaders, prophets and priests in Micah's day. It's like he says, enough is enough. You've ignored and rejected and rebelled against me for too long. Judgment has come. Judgment is right at the doorstep. Friends, I think this is a timely warning for all of us. Never to despise God's patience with our sin. Do not be like leaders in Micah's day who assumed that life would just go on peacefully forever. Life is not like that. One of the highlights in uh, the show Survivor, some of your junkies I know uh, is when someone gets blindsided. They simply do not see it coming and they are voted out of the game. Friends, don't be blindsided by the game of real life in this beautiful but sin-broken world. We'll all leave it one day when we die and then we will face God's judgment. And we don't know when that will be. We don't know when our time's up. Until then, God is being patient with us, giving us time to respond to him. So friends, don't delay. If you sense that God is speaking to you here this morning, respond today. Don't be deaf to his voice. Don't harden your heart. In our daily readings this week from our little daily life booklet, are some of you using that? Yeah, some nods there. It's, it's good. Um, we're reading through Hebrews, and, and some verses in chapter 3 stood out to me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, and I like this bit, it says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. I, I think today is still called today, is it? Is today? Today? Yeah, as far as I know, it's still today. Um, so encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The people in Micah's day were faced with a horrible reality. God's promise of blessing the whole world through them was now going to be delayed until after a time of great judgment because sin's deceitfulness had grabbed hold of the hearts of the religious leaders, all the leaders. As readers, now here, here we are, nearly 3,000 years later, as readers, it leaves us looking forward, longing for a better king, better prophets, and much better priests. And God satisfies our hopes in Jesus. He's the perfect prophet who always speaks God's truth. So let's listen to Jesus. Jesus is the perfect priest who by his own sacrifice brings us to God. Friends, let's trust him. And Jesus is the perfect king who rules and will judge the world. Friends, let's follow him. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do have a perfect king, a perfect prophet, a perfect priest. One who used everything that you had given him for the benefit of, and good of others, one who gave up everything, gave up life itself by dying on the cross in our place so that we could have life, we could have forgiveness, we could have the certain hope of eternal life. Father, in whatever life we have remaining, let us not despise and presume upon your patience with us. But let us turn to you humbly and joyfully and receive your forgiveness. Live with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit and live for the praise and glory of your name until we meet you face to face. Amen.